everyone we have an awesome show today we are talking to megan fister and david ledgerwood from gun.io and they're going to tell us uh, all about um, how you can present yourself uh, in the job search so how to write your resume and uh, what belongs in your portfolio or if you even need one and what you should put on linkedin so um, we're really going to dig into that topic uh, for this entire episode and by the end of it you'll have a lot of great tips uh, if you want to support the show, please go over to our site at techjr.dev and click subscribe. Tweet us at techjrpodcast, leave a review on iTunes, and tell all your friends. Anything you can do to spread the word about the show is greatly appreciated. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick Jr., full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me, as always, Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie, front-end developer. And we have uh, two special guests today. We've got uh, David Ledgerwood and Megan Fister from Gun.io. And if you two could please introduce yourselves. Sure, I'm glad to jump in. It's good to have you guys. Lee, um, you know, you were a guest over on our podcast where I'm the host, so people there know me as as Ledge, David Ledgerwood. Um, I've got a 20 year career in uh, technology and management and sales. And uh, recently, in the last six months, got the opportunity to host the Gun.io podcast. So, um, my work at Gun.io has largely been around uh, the sales side of staffing really excellent uh, senior software and freelance engineers, right? So, um, that's where Megan and I worked together for, for more than three years. And so, I really got um, a lot of experience there, you know, being able to, to spend time with developers of all different sorts and, and also with the clients and the, the companies that, that book them and try to bring together, you know, those stories. So I'm, I'm really happy to share that with the audience. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Lee and Eddie. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Megan. I'm the director of talent at Gun.io. And my background, uh, well, I really started out more in kind of the design, early website design stuff. And I've been doing that for many years prior, uh, have also done freelancing for, geez, a good eight years or more. I kind of lost track of it, to be honest with you. And then um, came on board with Gun.io to work with them initially as a contractor and then stepped into this talent leadership role uh, which is really exciting because it kind of marries a lot of my previous skills with what I'm doing now. And I tend to come at it from a very um, contractor, empathetic standpoint. I've just, I've been there. I know what it's like to to work as a freelancer. And I think I have a good beat on what they want. And then of course, I, I just love working with developers in general. So this is going to be really fun. I just really enjoy kind of my day to day and the interactions that I have with developers. So I think that's like the, the short version of it. And we can always get into more, more things later. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so we were, uh, really excited to work with you because as developers, like we spend a lot of our time on, you know, learning to code and our skills. And then when it comes, when it comes time to actually get a job or apply or put ourselves on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, uh, then it's, it's like, Oh gosh, I have to be social. <laughs> and so there's kind of that disconnect. But uh, you, you both have a lot of experience with, you know, hiring developers, working with developers, um, and then like taking their skills and kind of 
not selling them, but uh, kind of highlighting the things that are important and what the clients, you know, would want to hear and kind of telling a, a story of, you know, what their strengths are, which we're kind of bad at. So <laughs> um, also uh, speaking with you previously, Ledge, you had mentioned that uh, you guys had done some work uh, for the podcast where you spoke with uh, a whole bunch of CTOs and, and asked them, you know, what they actually are looking for in a hire. So can you maybe talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when I, uh, we've done, geez, almost like 200 interviews, right. With, with CTOs, uh, VPs, you know, stuff like that, right. People who hire developers and we were just super interested in it. So I started asking the question on every episode. It didn't even start as a, like a data gathering or research project. It was just sort of my curiosity. Like, what do you look for when you're hiring, you know, sort of excellent engineers? You know, who do you want on your team and what things do you interview for? And I think we all had the idea that, you know, of course there's this, I don't know, you know, base level, like foundation of obviously you need to know how to code, you know, and you, you need to have some software engineering experience. Right. Uh, but what, what was super interesting is like that, didn't come up a lot. It was sort of like just the baseline, you know, I'll call it like table stakes, right? Like that's all that you, you just have to have that to get in the door, the the cover charge. But what was what was super interesting is that the, we had this collection of, of things that we were then able to index and, and kind of turn into this research. And, um, you know, I'll just, I'll kind of read off some of those dimensions and, and talk about how we collapsed them. So, you know, the number one thing that the CTO said, and it started with 40, and I think we ended up doing about um, 80 to 100 different people. Number one wow. thing was commitment to professional development. Like that was that was the one that stood out at the top of the list, uh, number one. And I, I think as we dug into that, it really had to do with like, are you a lifelong learner? Do you love learning new things? Do you bring that, uh, you know, sort of passion for learning? with you all the time and, and invest in yourself as uh, a professional and engineer. So like number one, right? Uh, second to that, we had to kind of collapse this into a, a category, but I don't think it'll be surprising for anybody that the second one was what we just call soft skills. Uh, for example, you know, communication skills, like how well can you talk? How well can you write? How do you interact with others? Um, which to me was very interesting. You know, just like 20 years ago, I was a software guy. You know, I just so I coded for about five years in my career before I, I moved to the business dark side. And um, <laughs> we didn't have to do any of that. You know, like you were you were still allowed back back in the day to, you know, kind of sit in the basement in the dark and write code and never talk to anybody. Uh, total shift. Right. So, you know, I, I think that, that that stuff's really important. And, you know, kudos to you guys. Right. You, you get on and, and record your voice, not just like talk to people. But uh, so everybody we're, we're scared them. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next one I, I thought was I thought was really interesting, and and this will be a good thing to talk about with the you know sort of from a junior dev perspective, right? Uh, it was diversity of experience. Like, what are the things that you've done, the places you've worked, the projects you've worked on? And I, I think it would be easy to be like, well, I don't have any experience because uh, I'm a junior, you know. But but you do, right? Because you come from different industries or uh, different experiences, uh, you know, sort of diversity on every front. Like uh, you've worked with different types of people. You like, you know, things you have experienced different processes and solutions. Yeah. They weren't like code and software, 
but I, I think that's tremendous for juniors and, you know, people who are shifting careers to keep in mind, like you have so much baked into that experience. And this is like the number three thing and real close together, you know, sort of the counts, right? So you can lean into that, like all three of these things. Um, interesting that you, you've talked about like, you know, um, hiring managers, I think that different people will, will talk about, they want passion, you know, quote unquote, and like everybody's, what, what is that? Right. Well, that came up a lot too. And, and what we decided to do was kind of go, I think passion gets divided across some of the other dimensions. So we kind of like stripped that out because we thought that everybody's passion or measure of passion was really relative to their own maybe biases or experiences and their own corporate culture. So my suggestion would be that, you know, when you hear that, what you want to do is understand the context that it comes from. And then you can start to say passion in this context or this company or this experience with this person means other things, right? So we kind of like debucketed passion and spread it around the other top areas because we thought that's what people actually meant. So this is like totally non-scientific. I'm sure that we would fail, you know, every, uh, every measure of, of scientific rigor, but we think we're right with that. Um, and then it started the cluster, you know, and there's a bunch of different answers. So problem solving, uh, customer empathy, business acumen, uh, your character, your adaptability. Uh, and then there was another one that was kind of up there that we also treated like passion and that was cultural fit. Uh, and we decided that, you know, there was no way that a person could come into an environment and display exactly the right fat passion and exactly the right cultural fit, like unless you just were. Like that was externally motivated. Um, I don't think there's anything that you can do about that. You either fit or you don't and you share and can align your values with the passion that they want. Uh, we took those two things out. And so, you know, I'll just I'll kind of repeat then from the top down based on these are just the counts. You know, that it was commitment to professional development, soft skills and communication, diverse experience, problem solving ability, customer empathy, business acumen, character and adaptability. And I would love to answer any questions you have on that. But, you know, I think most people will kind of resonate with those and, and think those are pretty clear. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. Um when you first brought this up, my first thought was, oh, man, I bet he got passion for an answer about every <laughs> yes, single time. Yes, yes. Uh, it came up often. Yeah. And that's why we had to kind of go like, we think that's contextual. Let's break that out. Yeah. And I can definitely speak to passion here a little bit, too. And I, I can be honest with you and say that that question or that uh, requisition always drives me nuts because I can quantify <laughs> somebody's passion, right? Like, yeah. come on. But what I do think that 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 clients want to see, and I, and I say in terms of clients, but think also in terms of employers is, are you actually interested in this work that you're going to be doing? And I think that's where, where things like personal interests come into play and you can feel comfortable expressing that. So maybe you haven't done a project like this in a professional setting, but maybe it's something that you are interested in in a personal setting. I think that goes a long way too. So an example I've used is we um, had talked a little bit with an outdoor furniture company 
And they're like, yeah, we want somebody who's passionate about furniture. I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure about furniture. <laughs> but then when I really started thinking about like, what are they asking for? They want somebody with some interest in this thing that they're working on um, and is not just kind of going through the motions. So for me, as somebody looking, you know, kind of through resumes and, and being that talent director, what I would think is if I saw somebody that mentioned woodworking or something kind of like along that sphere where I could then talk to that person and say, hey, you know, you mentioned on your resume a personal area of interest or on your application, this thing, you know, tie it in together with what this company is doing. How does that relate? That I think tends to resonate with clients and companies. And I think the other thing too is, is if you get to the stage where you're on a call or you're in an interview with them, tell them that you want to work with them. Tell them how it relates to you. I mean, they don't know what you don't tell them. And so I think taking a few minutes to think about what is this company? What are they doing? What kind of project would I be working on? And how can I express to them my interest around it other than like, I like to code and I think it's fun. Like Everybody's going to say that. So how do you stand out? We stand out by tying together your experience whether professionally or personally and making that statement to them and be very explicit about it. I think, you know, toot your own horn in those kind of areas, especially if, if you do it personally, you probably are interested in it in some way. I think that is how I tend to get around that question of passion. Like, you know, I can't, I can't quantify that, but here's what I can say. Okay. Yeah. I, I could think of a, a real life example of this. Um, when I got out of a code boot camp that I had done, I started applying for jobs and my previous work was as a firefighter and as a nurse. And so I came across this software company that was making uh, documentation and like uh, pre-planning tools for local fire departments. So I was like, oh man, this is perfect. Let me apply there and tell them, you know, hey, I used to be a fireman. I see the value in the work that you're doing and I want to contribute to that as a developer. And uh, I didn't get hired there, but I did get an interview for a position, even though I was like way underqualified no. for it. Mm -hmm. So uh, definitely that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I can speak from the sales seat that what Megan and I were always able to do together. And, and then we expanded to, you know, sort of a bunch of other people as our company grew uh, that, that idea of sort of matching what someone is asking for and kind of like recalibrating it around your own experience. So what was always fun for me was to take, uh, you know, all the things that Megan was able to deal or dig out kind of in the interview and, and take them and kind of go, I'm going to tell this story of this person in a way that matches what this company client culture, you know, whatever is looking for. Now, obviously, I would always talk to the developer and be like, you know, Hey, I want to present it this way. Is this accurate? You know, I don't want to like miss spin you and kind of make up things. Um, but that, that we'd be able to find out like, Oh, Hey, you didn't have it on your resume, but you actually did work on a substantial open source project that was related to this field. And um, I, I guess I would just challenge everybody to, you know, like, do a personal inventory over time and kind of think about like, what do I really know? What value do I bring? And let me tell that story. Cause the storytelling is, is what sells you and, and any good, we'll talk about interview skills later, but any good interview is going to involve like deep personal connections and, and uh, stories about, you know, what you've done. And, and that's where that passion is going to come through. Like if it isn't a real thing, you can't have passion for it. Right. Also kind of want to unpack uh, culture fit a little bit. Uh, I'm sure that that popped up a lot uh, from what you said. And um, 
did you drill down into that a little bit or uh, how do you, I guess, kind of fit yourself into a, a company's culture or maybe learn about their culture? It's just such a vague term. It is so, so vague. Yeah. And anyway, so like I said, passion and culture fit are the ones that we kind of said, there's not much we can do about that, except that, you know, so in my seat, it was my job to kind of go, when you say culture fit is important to you, what is your culture? And I would try to use my abilities to kind of draw that out and facilitate that out of them. So when you don't have an intermediary, you know, salesperson kind of repping you and, and working for you, you're gonna have to do that yourself. Right. And, um, you know, obviously you would do the standard things like read about the company and, you know, look at their about page and try to like glean whatever you can. Uh, but also know that's kind of the spinny marketing, you know, sort of version of culture, right? Like, Oh, we have a ping pong table. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, chances are that you may know or could get access to someone that works there or has worked there. You know, LinkedIn is a great tool. We'll talk about that later. Um, you know, if you're in like dev Slack groups or anything like that, um, that's where just networking helps a lot because you can learn about those things before you go in and say, yeah, I know your culture values X, Y, and Z. You know, here's some examples of what that means to me and has meant to me in my, my other career areas. You know, I'm really excited to be a part of, of that. Right. So there's a lot of honesty and transparency that goes into it, but I guess to summarize that, you know, we could not align on, you know, cultural fit being anything other than like, you got to understand what that person means when they say it about themselves and their company. And so then it became more of a, a research task and chances are that what they perceive as their culture was built into those other things such as, you know, we do, we value, you know, commitment to professional development and we communicate and we treat each other with, um, you know, respect. And we, you know, we have a culture that likes people to debate and be constructive. And, you know, so most of the time I, I would think that it's baked into the skills that they're asking for. And what they're doing is kind of like reiterating that saying, no, 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 this is really important to us. And I think too, like, while you want to sell your story and you want to understand the cultural fit as best as you can for a multitude of reasons, I think it's important to still kind of come as you are, right? You definitely don't want to try and mold yourself into a culture that you really don't feel is a fit because ultimately that will, um, in the long run, not benefit you. And it certainly won't benefit them either. So if you feel like the information that you're getting from the job posting or, or whatever information you can gather from others is aligned, then you definitely want to share that. And, and again, just verbally or written, say, this is how I align with that. But I think all of this still has to come from a genuine place of um, how you actually feel, the things you actually want to be doing, you know, and be kind of true to yourself and know yourself, especially as a, as a junior dev, you might not really have that fleshed out. You might not really know where your place is at this point. But, you know, you know your values to some degree. You have a sense of who you are. And so it's basically understanding, is it a good fit? And if it is, here's telling them, here's how I am a good fit. But don't just say it to say it. I feel like I should reiterate that only because that's how you end up miserable in six months time in a job that you're not really happy about. 
Right. So maybe, you know, reach out to some of the people on LinkedIn that you can find or in your local, you know, community or network and, oh, hey, do you work over here? Uh, you know, what's what's it like to work there? And then, you know, don't get into an interview and say something like, hey, I heard you guys have a ping pong table. I love ping pong and, you know, something <laughs> way over the yeah, top please, like that. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I'm being a cynic of such things, you know, I kind of go like, if you have a ping pong table, you know, what's that really mean? Like, are you hiding something? Uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I think it swings both ways on, on some of that cultural stuff. Like, you know, people talk about like, well, they give us, you know, they give us beers and, and food in the office. Well, that also means like you're in the office at dinner time. you know, so yeah. like, be thinking about like what, what that actually means. And, and I may just be an over skeptic, but you know, you hear the stories and I think that's important. Um, you can also check things like Glassdoor, you know, other um, feedback sites about a given company. The way they treat their clients is is going to be indicative of their culture. You know, so there's like a lot of complaints about their service online. Like I would be questioning of that too. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, also a couple of good avenues for research, you know, just whatever kind of reviews you can dig up online. But, you know, obviously always take take that with a grain of salt because usually the the most salty people are the one leaving the uh, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, um, excellent advice. Uh, I really love that list. Can, can we maybe hear it one more time? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So again, have your technical skills in order, you know, depending on your uh, abilities and level. Right. And then these are the things that you want to communicate in general, you know, some hundred CTOs told us this. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt that they're not all true, but hey, this is a pretty good average picture of what people are looking for. And it's, it's going to be commitment to professional development, soft skills and communication, diversity of experience, problem solving ability, customer empathy, business acumen, character and adaptability. Awesome. So the next part I wanted to uh, get into was, okay, how do we take, you know, these things and then, you know, take our resumes and LinkedIn's and, you know, how we represent ourselves when we're applying and how do we like show that stuff in those mediums? So, um, like basically how do you build your brand? How do you market yourself as a developer? You know, what goes on your resume and, and where, and, you know, what do you put on your LinkedIn? I can talk to that. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm less so from the marketing angle of it, I guess. So coming from the talent side as somebody who has read lots of resumes and looked at lots of LinkedIn profiles, there's, there's a couple of things. So the first thing to know is you are going to have to fit in terms of what the client needs are. I mean, that's just, that's not so obvious, but if you're shooting kind of way above, you know, your current abilities, odds are you're not going to get a call back. If they want somebody who's got 15 years experience as a CTO, if you just had a boot camp, it's probably not going to happen. So just be honest with yourself. I think that there's certainly room to stretch. So it's not to necessarily limit yourself, but if it's kind of like completely different leagues, if you're batting way above your weight, just, you know, you think carefully about that because you might be wasting your time. Um, and again, I don't like to discourage people, but for sure, if a client comes to us and they tend to be pretty specific about the things that they need, if they're looking for somebody who's 
got deep experience with Node and it's nowhere on your resume and I've got no inclination that that's something that you're good at, then I'm probably going to pass on that, even if you're a great fit in other areas. So keep in mind that you, you're going to have to tailor your information to the audience uh, and, and just be somewhat realistic in terms of what they're saying they need. But a lot of what I see are a lot of things that can really maybe bounce you and they shouldn't are things that are really basic, like make sure that your resume is actually readable. I think, um, or at least what I've heard from a lot of the devs is they feel like everything's going to be screen read. So they kind of optimize for a screen reader. But the reality is, is a lot of places actually are using human beings to do these things. So make it also human readable. So just being able to scan something, pay a designer maybe to even reformat your resume in a way that it doesn't have to look super fancy, but it should be readable. I tend to do the same thing with, you know, if you're building a website, the whole don't make me think. Same kind of thing. Make it easy for whoever is reading your resume to actually get the information that you want to share from them to put your best foot forward. Spelling, grammar, explaining explicitly why you're a good fit for this job. And if they give you a chance to write a cover letter or something like that, that really can take it to the next level and at least get you in front of that person to take that next step. But you're almost always going to initially have to hit some kind of screening of some sort. Um, I know some places do do electronic screening. I tend to not love that idea. But if you're in front of a human, they still need to make a judgment call pretty quickly about, is this person likely to be a fit for our needs or not? And so you're really just making it as easy as possible, essentially spoon feed it to me um, to understand, you know, what it is that you do, what it is that you have done, and what it is that you're looking to do going forward. Uh, and not in some cheesy, like, I'm looking to change the world because I'm a great developer kind of thing. I mean, be very deliberate <laughs> about what you're saying. Look at the job posting. They're telling you what they want. So you're essentially parroting it back. You know, they're looking to check their boxes too. So not exactly a marketing thing, but I think those are really basic things that are worth saying because I see mistakes like that happen over and over and over again. And it knocks some probably really solid people out of the running just because you know, they can't write a coherent sentence. And, you know, that's important. One of the things that we just talked about was communication, the ability to communicate effectively in business acumen. And that's going to come across very, very early on. And you got to get past that screening. So that's a huge part of that. What's a, sorry, what is business acumen for anybody that's maybe scratching their head out there? Oh, that's such a great question. Ledgy, why don't you take that one? Business acumen, we interpreted to mean uh, knowledge of experience in a business environment. So at least like, you know, kind of don't put your head in the sand and go, well, like I only do technology, you know, I don't need to understand what the business does, you know. So, you know, how does your company or this target company make money? Like what's important to them on like the business and operations side? Like, can you at least understand the basic vocabulary of business because you don't exist just to write code and your value is going to be best experienced for that company if you can talk to them in their language. So there's always this like in between step where you go, you can't walk as a tech technologist or, or a developer, you can't walk into business users and business meetings and just go blah, 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 all about technical words. So you should, you should take it upon yourself or it's valuable if you take it upon yourself to learn business language, because that's how the users and the internal and external customers are going to experience your work. And they're going to perceive it more valuably. If in fact you can speak their language 
they are not going to make the effort to speak yours. Cool. So maybe I could throw an example at this. Um, so at work right now, I'm working on uh, end to end testing, which is a very abstract concept, um, kind of like programmatically having a browser check the website. And, you know, maybe I would put that on my resume as like implemented end to end tests or something like that. But really what you're saying is instead of doing that, I should say developed a testing uh, philosophy for the company that uh, freed up development um, time to apply to other, you know, more uh, profitable aspects of the site or, or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, and you don't like you know fake the language, right? I mean, I don't think anybody expects you to be able to you know perfectly articulate it, but but you're right, it is that direction of like, why does my company exist? Well, it it simply doesn't exist to implement a testing regime, but you're right, right? If we implement a testing and quality regime, what are the downstream impacts of that that they definitely care about? Well, your support calls are going to go down, you know, the quality of your software goes up. Fewer of your developers are going to be on uh, bug remediation and you know third level ticket handling because something doesn't work in production. Higher site reliability, all those things are great for like your users and for your customers, and they're going to end up with more sales. Happier customers tell their friends, you get more referrals, and so like think of it from the standpoint of the value that you add because of that activity. That sounds like something I really want to fund as a business person. I don't want to fund building a testing plan because as a, as a testing plan and the mistake that a lot of uh, you know engineering folks make is they'll start going like on and on and on about a testing plan. You know what that sounds like to me? More money. Like, why would I pay for that? Why didn't you just do it right the first time? Why are there bugs in software? Like you have to, I mean, it sounds, sounds crazy, right? But like, they don't live in that discipline. They don't know. It's the same reason why, you know, you guys are like, um, uh, maybe for sales, you know, like, well, why can't salespeople just get the deal? Because there's a lot of detail, right? Uh, um, and it's, it's the same thing. So you know, frame it and how it's valuable for the, the company and it's going to make a huge difference. Cool. So um, going back to the resumes, like how do you, I guess, how do you communicate that type of thing, you know, on a resume, especially if you have little to no experience? I think just kind of like you said, where you mentioned, you know, this is what I did, but I think you have to like always frame it in terms of value. Let's kind of hit on that. But I think the idea is explain it a little bit more. I'll, usually people err on the side of brevity and I'd rather see a little bit more and I'd rather see some more quantifiable things. The other thing that I see, um, or, or maybe I should flag this as something that kind of concerns me is when people try to put class projects as um, professional experience, don't mix up the two. As somebody reviewing that, I don't mind that you're sharing that information. I think that's important and you should absolutely share it, but don't play it off as like, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years. If most of that was, you know, in high school and learning, that's cool, but that's not the same as professional experience. And that will kind of, you know, make it look like you're not totally with the program on that. So just stop and think about the things that you've done, what value they provided. Even if it's a class project, for example, talk about the why. Like, why did I do this? Why would somebody pay me to do this thing? Why do they care about having me do this? Because if we're not providing value, then why do we exist, right? Like, why, why are we doing any of this work that we're doing? They want to pay you to do something, and it's for a reason. So what is that reason? And think about it in terms of that. So I'm, as a somebody screening, may understand certainly, like, why implementing CICD is important. 
spell it out. And, and because I want to know that you know why it's important too, not just because like, oh yeah, you know, somebody told me it was a good thing to do. So I took the time to do it. Explain that you know why that value exists. That's going to really turn it around. And this is true for anybody, like not just developers, but anybody doing the resume. People want to understand what value you brought, what the outcome was of the thing that you did, not just that you did that one thing. Um, and kind of tangently related to that, if you've done any kind of work as a group, so anything that you haven't done by yourself specifically, it's helpful to know that you worked with a team and what your role on that team was or what your responsibilities were. Um, sometimes I want to understand what you did as, as an individual contributor, um, and that can be hard to know. People just say, yeah, we worked on this project for a year and we did this thing. Okay, but who is we? What does that actually mean? What did you do specifically? How did you contribute to that team and that team's outcome? Uh, I see that a lot, and I think that's something that uh, we could do a little bit better job of explaining. And again, especially if you're coming out of a, some kind of camp or you're working together with um, an informal team, but even still in a professional environment, I really want to know what you specifically did. That's uh, that's really great advice because um, here in Orlando, at least, there is a lot of code bootcamp graduates out there that are kind of trying to like find that that proper mix of what to put on a resume. And, you know, sometimes all they have is group projects. So um, mm -hmm. going along with that, as far as the technical side of it, like what kind of stuff should you list uh, on your resume as far as like skills and, you know, technologies used on a project? Yeah, I, I like that question a lot because a lot of times what people do is they list They'll list their project, they'll talk a little bit about it, and then they'll list out their skills. And that's cool. That's like kind of version step one of what I want to see. What I also really like to see is years or months, maybe even experience with particular technologies. So to me, it lets me know a little bit more granularly how experienced you are with any particular stack or any particular framework. Um, a lot of times I want to know, well, did you spend five minutes with React or is this something that you've done for three years now? And that will make a big difference. When, when clients are looking for people, they're looking for people with certain deep experience in some areas and some things are tangently nice to have, but we need to know, you know, what's what. And it's really hard if you just kind of list it out very generically. Um, I would certainly do it in force rank in terms of what you have worked with the most. Um, and, you know, there are things that we're looking for in terms of keywords. So certainly having more of those items in there is good, but we're still trying to understand what is your depth of experience with that. So take kind of that next step and say, you know, two months or three months. I'm using months. Some people have years, of course, experience with certain things, but let that person know that you've actually had a deep dive with whatever that tech is or, uh, you know, kind of it's cursory knowledge and that's good too. I want to know that as well. It's not necessarily like a right or wrong answer, but certainly the more detail you can provide about that, the better off I'm going to be able to assess. Yeah. Hey, you're a good fit. Let's get this person in for a call. Cool. So, um, I imagine a lot of this also applies to like a LinkedIn page kind of mirroring what you have on your resume. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I like seeing list of skill sets. I like to see details around that. And I like to, um, I like to see a bit more about the projects that they're working on specifically for junior developers. I want to know kind of not just what the project was, but more about it, who worked on it, you know, um, what your role was, how long did that project go on for? I mean, was this like a two week project? Was this like a, a full semester project? Those things give me a sense of, of depth of experience 
that I think really can be a boost to um, especially junior developers, but really anybody. The more detail on that you can give, and it doesn't have to be excessive, but just a, a few sentences here or there about that is really helpful, I think. Uh, do you have any thoughts on like portfolios or side projects, um, particularly for somebody with little experience? I tend to think that portfolios make sense if you're a designer or if you're a front end heavy developer. Um, if you're doing back end work, that's probably not going to do any good at all. Uh, for that, I would want to see like get repos. I think that's a lot more important for for that particular. But I have noticed that quite a few clients do want to. Um, review a person's skill. They want to see what they did, especially as like a front end developer. So I think that that does make sense. And again, I think you're looking for um, to showcase your best areas. So don't put a bunch of stuff on there that you're not interested in having a career in because sometimes clients will latch onto that too. Like, oh, this person does C sharp. Well, yeah, they did that 15 years ago. They really don't want to do that anymore. They (laughs) work, let's say with React, for example. So Think about that too. Certainly you can list it, but you really want to showcase places that you want to be put in in the future. I think for junior devs, that's a little trickier because you're really not dealing with maybe some of the breadth that you might have with somebody who's been in a career longer. But I think the idea is one of the main things, let me put it this way, is I want to see that your portfolio site is actually usable. Um, I want the links to work. Like Check it for just details like that. It may be less about the content that you have, that is important. But if I go to somebody whose site who is broken, they don't have an SSL certificate on their site, like it makes me start to question their ability just in general. Like these are details that I would want as a client. So pay attention to those details with your portfolio. That is probably the best thing you can do as a junior dev is showcase what you've got, have good basic stuff, make sure it's working, make sure it's fast, and that somebody who accesses it is like, yeah, this person looks like they've got it together. That's probably the, the the key on that. Wow, excellent. Um, I have a couple of side questions that I was thinking of while you were while you were talking about that. Um, first of all, uh, does a custom domain matter? Like, do you care if it's at you know GitHub.io or HerokuApp.com or something, or do you want to see like PersonsName.com or, or something to that effect? That really doesn't matter to me at all. What I'm looking for is like quality and content around it. So none of that really matters. One thing I will say that matters, or maybe I'm kind of snooty about it, but if you're coming in as like a designer and you have a Wix site or you have some kind of like <laughs> I love order, it. you're probably it's not going to get it. And I, and I say that from experience. So if you like, if you're reading this and or you're listening to this and you're a designer, or you're front end dev, look, you got to showcase your skills. Um, and that is certainly a place to do that, not just in the content of it, but like your actual site. So don't go in and do some like little WYSIWYG kind of thing, because I'm going to wonder why, why you would do that and question your your uh, your commitment to your craft. I'd agree with that. And I'll, let me jump in real quick on that one, because, you know, one thing I think people tend to do is go whole hog into this idea of portfolio and my own personal site and whatever, but like actually not execute it yeah. well. I would literally tell you, don't do it at all if you're not going to do it. Yes, awesome. 100%. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for that, I'd rather just see a, like a Git repo if you're not going to be able to take the time to do it well. But certainly don't use some WYSIWYG thing. Like, it's really just questionable. What about, uh, and it's also about why you would do that. What about like a half measure where somebody goes in and they get like a template off somewhere? Because I, I had somebody send me their uh, 
their blog and I was like, man, this is really slick. And then it had a little annotation that was like template by blah, 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 dot com. And I was like, oh, that's not right. (laughs) Yeah, if you were a back end dev, I'd be totally cool with that. I'd have no problem with that. But if you're trying to showcase your front end skills, like take the time to just do something good. And it doesn't have to be outrageous. Like it's not like, well, do 10,000 animations. I mean, that's cool. But just have it be like a good working usable site with some good UX. yeah, I would tend to err on the side of like not having anything and just I mean, <laughs> sending them off to read like, before I would. You know, but if it's their blog, it. if you're trying to like maybe demonstrate, you know, your subject matter thinking or whatever, Writing. you know, of course, then use a template and make it look nice or or simple. Simple always wins, you know. Um, but if you're going to do complex interactions and you know animations that lead you to the next project and all that stuff, like okay, but then do it right. And don't let it age out because the worst is when, you know, we're going to get one of those and it's like, oh, this is really like I can see knowing enough about technology that this is super cool on the back end, but it just isn't something we can use to promote you. Uh, so there, there's definitely a balance. And I would say don't overdo it unless you are really going to do a good job and keep up with that thing and keep it updated. Changing gears a little bit. Um there's a lot of kind of like groans and moans whenever GitHub heat maps get brought up. Uh, is that something that you guys have looked at before? That's a good question. Oh yeah, of course. I like to see, I like to see people committing to the repos. That's really like all I worry about. And you're right. Like those heat maps, they matter. And people get kind of huffy about it because they say like everything's under wraps. It's all under NDA. That's true, but you can expose your commits, not, you, like when you've committed, you can expose that. And I like to see that. I worry if somebody's been in the industry a long time and they just got like a repo on GitHub 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's kind of questionable. Again, it's like, I'm not sure now, do I believe you or not? You want things to be consistent. So if you're new, you're a new dev and you just got a repo, no problem at all. But if you're telling me you've got 10 years experience and like you just don't find that up you know, two months ago, that's questionable. I want to look for consistency across what you're telling me because believe it or not, sometimes people don't tell you the truth in their resumes. And so we're looking for things to kind of um, bolster the proof around what you're telling me that you've done. So I do like it. I do look at it. Um, It's not the only thing I look at, but yeah, if if you've done the work, if you've got open source contributions, that's really going to help too. So I've had, um, some students yeah, right. from the boot camp that they come out and they have like a green heat map and they graduate and it turns white. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, that's, that's terrible. Don't do that. But then on the flip side, I've heard a lot of uh, experienced devs get really salty whenever this gets brought up because they're like, Oh man, I work nine to five. I don't have time to do personal projects on the side or I don't have time to Wait, make my you heat heard map devs get salty. So. Can we, can we talk? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man bites dog, right? Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask because mine is not great and I've been working for a year now. Um, I have stuff here and there, but it's not green. Yeah. I Like I said, I don't get too hung up on it, but it, I would notice. I would notice if there's stuff. And I would also notice, again, if it's really inconsistent, if it's clearly like this person has not paid much attention to this, that's what I'm looking for. And if you have a company that works with GitHub, for example, like if they're using that for the repos, like I said, you can expose 
when you've contributed, but not what you've contributed. So I can see like, yeah, Eddie made commits every single day. I can't see what they are, but I can at least see that you did that. That I like, and I would suggest doing that or considering doing that. Just make sure, look at the privacy stuff, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to expose anything other than you made a commit and that's it. I mean, it's a validation point, right? Like if you had a resume and there's like every other year, it's just missing. Like someone would look for you to at least be able to plausibly explain that. Like, what were you doing? Well, you know, okay, I, I don't know. I took a trip around the world or, you know, something if you're blessed enough to, to have those types of opportunities. Uh, but all of it goes towards your overall narrative. And you just, you just want to think of it from the outside perspective. Like, what does this look like to someone who may not give me the chance to talk to me and let me explain it? And even if you get past one interviewer, that interviewer is going to be asked to send all those assets to the next person who might be more salty about those particular issues. So, you know, the, the senior dev on the team, even if the, the product leader likes you, when they're asked to review you, what if they're the person that cares about that? And they're going to be able to say, well, out of the three candidates I was presented, this one has the worst picture in the way that I value the world. So I'll just filter out. And so you may not get that chance to cross sell it. So it's like every little detail just helps you get to the next stage. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. in, in Eddie's case, he's, uh, he's using Bitbucket. So yeah, he's, uh, he's not even getting the chance to commit to GitHub. So, I mean, obviously there's, like you guys said, there's other aspects to the, you know, the application. So I just think it's hilarious when people start like shouting from the rooftops whenever heat maps get brought up. <laughs> now I know what to <laughs> to talk about today if I want to rile up the devs. <laughs> yeah, just just lean over to one and be like, "Hey, um, I looked at your heat map earlier and it was uh, white. What's up?" <laughs> Notice you haven't made any commits lately. Do you work? <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing all day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pe people are throwing chairs somewhere right now. <laughs> so um i, I kind of wanted to to jump into um networking a little bit but before that uh I, I had asked uh you two to review um eddie and i's resumes and linkedins and uh not you know for our own personal benefit but to look at <clears throat> kind of like the assets that we had when we were applying and see if there's any mistakes that we made or anything that we can kind of unearth by talking about that and seeing like things that could be done better. So yeah, I didn't know this was going to happen. So this yeah, I totally uh, just, I totally just submitted <laughs> Eddie's stuff, but. <laughs> oh, great. Oh gosh. Well, um, I tend to be a pretty tough critic, so I will, I guess, lean with that. But I think that having something tangible to, to talk about is a little better than some kind of just general pointer. So um, I did start with Lee's stuff. Um, overall, I thought it looked really good on your LinkedIn. So that was the first thing I looked at. Um, what Lee is getting right is that he's got a headline. And that's usually, of course, the first thing that you see. Uh, it's detailed. It talks about his um, skill sets and also this particular podcast. So it gives me a good sense, like in just a few words, who he is, what he does, um, and what I can maybe expect from him. Uh, one thing that you could consider adding is if you've got multiple years experience, you could also include that too, just to give it a little bit of oomph. So, you know, I've been doing this for three years or just in some way indicate how long that's been happening. I like to see that, especially if people are, are quite experienced. Um, if you're inexperienced, leave it out. 
I think, but if you are experienced, it's worth putting in there. Um, you did a good job of specifying that you're interested in front-end work. I think that really helps. You also listed out the frameworks that you like working with. Um, as somebody who's kind of scanning those things, I think that's really helpful. Um, there was no mention of any back-end work, so I don't know if you do any or if you're interested in it at all. That may be worth considering mentioning, but certainly it's clear to me that's your area of expertise. So making that very detailed and clear to the reader. Um, there's some places where I felt like you could maybe beef up your experience. So you've got your different um, companies listed and a little bit about them, but I think you could add a little more detail and color to them. So as an example, uh, you had a teaching assistant for a boot camp, but what did you teach? To whom? What was the outcome? those kind of little details added just a little bit more color to it. So I can make assumptions around that, but don't make me assume, kind of spoon feed it to me and let me know, you know, who it was, why you did that. And, you know, what was the success rate, especially if you've got a high success rate um, that you can point to. So for, for example, maybe 98% of the graduates ended up getting a job within two months, something like that. If you have any kind of statistics around that, that's really helpful too, because it's just lending credibility to what you're saying and just giving me some context around what it is and why you did it. Um, something else I saw, and this is not a huge deal, but if you can get some recommendations, especially if you're a junior and if, especially if you can get it from somebody who is experienced, that can be useful on your LinkedIn. Um, certainly most, most, Employers are going to want a reference anyway, but having it visible on LinkedIn is really helpful. I really like seeing those um, from people who would be considered areas are experts in that area or in that domain. So see if you can do that. It's worth it. Especially, I know if you're an introvert, you might not be really keen on that idea, um, but I think it, it goes a long way, um, especially if you're kind of stepping into this industry or you're new to it. Um, all right. Any anything that we should pause for on that, or should I should I keep going? No, uh, uh, it's it's great. Um, I, I feel like I should defend my back end work. I, I do a little bit of JS and you know JavaScript, but that that's really all I have to to come at you with. <laughs> oh no, and, and t that's part of it too. Is right. What I'm telling you is I don't know for sure, and certainly you do. So help me know for sure. You can even say that too, or you could just, from my standpoint, if I would have seen that, I would have assumed that you have you do no back-end work, you're not interested in that at all. Um, I would assume if I saw a node in there listed that you are interested in some back-end work or have it at least done enough that you can kind of tie it together for yourself. So something to consider. Um, okay, and then resume. So resume, oh man, this is going to be harsh, Lee. I'm sorry. Bring it on, bring it on. I'll <laughs> okay. cry later. <laughs> so a lot of this is coming from my design background and just kind of as a, a usability standpoint. So let me describe it first for your for the listeners here. It's um it's a basic black and white two column resume. That's totally fine. But the main content is to the right, and there's a sidebar on the left with like contact information and his main skills. Um, I can't help it, but I really want you to switch those columns. So. Put your main information to the left, put your um, sidebar information to the right, because where my eye goes is right to that main sidebar, but I'm skipping over all the other stuff on the left that you have there. So kind of flip-flop that. Um, I'm also noticing different fonts and font sizes, which is kind of killing me. <laughs> um, so make sure your fonts are consistent and readable. Um, we don't want to make the user think, and of course we don't want any distractions, right? Like I don't want to be 
distracted from the content that you're sharing with me. And so to me, like having fonts be a little bit off or different sizes or all that, that is distracting to me. Now, I'm kind of a maniac, so take that with a grain of salt, but I would think in any way that you can avoid distracting your user from the valuable content that you're sharing with them in the wording, I think is important. Uh, I mentioned this a little earlier, but you list out your experience and your technologies, and I think that's great. I'd like personally to see your experience around that. Because um, again, that's going to help me kind of force rank and understand, you know, where your deep skills are versus what is maybe cursory. Um, some people I've seen listed out where they like expert and they list out some skills and then it's proficient and list out some skills and then maybe interested or whatever and list out another set of skills. I think that's another way around that. If Especially if you um, are fairly new to the industry, you could maybe do proficient and, you know, interested or learning. Um, that helps me gauge a little bit about, yes, this person's going to be able to step into this or no, they might need some additional training or help with that. Um, and again, none of this is like wrong. There's no right or wrong to how you list those out. But I think the more you can kind of give somebody to understand your areas, the better. Cool. Uh, I'm lighting my resume on fire. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few no, more things here. I'm sorry. Okay, let me just, I'm just going to put this out in case this helps somebody else. So um, you also have education in the sidebar. I'd probably put that down below your experience. I think that's important. Yeah, I think it's maybe not necessarily a sidebar. And especially knowing that clients want to know that you're keeping up with your uh, ex your education, your learning, that I think is worth not being a sidebar. I think it should be in the main body somewhere. Um, and there's also some bullets. And bullets sometimes can be distracting. I would say um, if it's like to maybe like a, a URL to a LinkedIn profile, maybe do the little LinkedIn logo, but I really wouldn't bother with the bullets. I would just kind of left justify it and then leave it alone. It's just more distracting than anything. So I'm sorry, I've just completely destroyed your resume. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's, it's helpful for people out there because uh, I see resumes that are uh, really, really bad compared to mine yeah. um, pretty often. So uh if you're tearing mine up, like, you know, listen to this advice and, and kind of apply it. Uh, also, just a note, um, I took that resume format direct from a resume building site and just recreated it in Google Docs. So um, oh, that's that's your first problem, right? Yeah, there. right. <laughs> well, I didn't Nothing know. I was like, started with free template. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask so, if um, you would suggest a template, but I guess not. I think, I think it's really. Uh, Megan reads a lot, but. Okay. Uh, my, my general feeling is like, you know, I'm trying to, I, I need to, I like one column because I need to scan down, look for key things, uh, highlight particular areas that I care about. Small fonts bother me. Even if you just have, you know, a short resume, it's okay if it goes to two, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a, a quick assessment. Uh, and, and I think that your resume with its particular bullets and details should be mirrored on LinkedIn. So for example, like your first job there, you know, you, you um, don't have uh, the, the details of what you do. So this is front end developer. We're like, what? Um, I, I would love that if there was a little bit of the, the story behind it as, you know, because we hiring manager or business person, we get a lot of this stuff thrown at us. And so, you know, uh, information that clearly lays it out, who you are and what you do and, and the value you can bring. I just think you, you can't do too much of that carefully worded bullets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, 
designed. Like what I want to press on is, you know, don't spend 15 days designing your resume. Uh, Unless you are a designer, then yes, you should do that. But for most developers, we're understanding like these are guys are not designers. Um, What I want to do is see the information in a way that is clearly easily readable and scannable. And that's where kind of these comments come from. So don't spend a ton of time making some kind of graphic for it or none of that matters so much. What it really is, is just making it easy for your reader. And I I tend to view it as like user experience, right? Like, what is my user experience reading a resume? If it's hard for me to understand, if I'm thinking about other things other than your content, then that's distracting. We don't want that. We want it to be clearly laying out your areas of expertise and why you're a great fit for whatever it is that, that I need. So is it okay to, I know you, you kind of beat on the fonts a little bit, um, is it okay to have different sized fonts to like, you know, maybe make it more scannable or uh, should it all just be like the same font, just kind of going straight down? No, that actually makes it harder if it's all one font. So I would say stay with the same font family and use different sizes, use headlines, especially if you're using something like Microsoft Word or Google Docs or anything like that, use the headline, the subhead and the bullets and, and the various text sizes that will make it more readable. Certainly. Um, what I just would say is don't do different font families, different font sizes erratically. Like you want to keep it so that as you read it down through it, it's pretty obvious. Like the headlines are always the same. The body text is always the same. The bullets are always the same. It just helps you kind of understand and, and read through it quicker. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Eddie, are you, are you ready, man? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So first I, I looked at Eddie's, um, LinkedIn, I, I liked it. It was to the point. Um, to me, his headline was very kind of short and sweet. It was just like, this is who I am. That's what I do. I think that's fine. But if you're actively seeking employment or if you're looking for something, maybe add a little more detail there. I want to understand kind of who you are, what you're doing, what you're looking for. That's really like kind of it. And if I saw Eddie's, which is really to the point, I would assume he's not really looking to change jobs actively at this point. Um, it's kind of funny because, okay. you know, you wouldn't expect to like kind of read into that that much. It's just a few words. But how we write those things will convey maybe one sense or another if, if I'm interested in looking or maybe if I'm not. So something to consider. Um, in the body text, you mentioned that you're Adobe certified. I think that's really cool. You could actually add a separate area for certifications on LinkedIn, which would kind of call it out a little better. That's, again, assuming that you want to call that out. So if you're like, yeah, I'm certified, but I don't really want to do that work, then keeping it in the body is just fine. But if it's something that you'd be interested in doing, you can call it out further by adding those certification areas of LinkedIn. It's like a separate kind of, I forget the exact word that LinkedIn uses, but essentially like a separate widget or area that you can use to call out any uh, particular certs. And I would say definitely put certifications mm-hmm. on there if you have any. Um, even if there were like, so let's say maybe you come from a networking back work, background, maybe you've got like CompTIA, you might be looking to switch out of maybe networking to get into software development. That's okay. I would still put those certs there. I think, again, it shows kind of continuous learning and evolution of yourself and your career paths. I think those are helpful as well. Um, of course, I see a lot of backend tech listed. Um but are you full stack? Are you really more front end? I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Um, it seemed like you were more at the this front means, end area. Well, I did this when I was coming out of the boot camp, and we were 
doing like full stack JavaScript, which is why that's mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I didn't see, or like what I can say something that I would have noticed if I was scanning this is that I did not see any newer modern frameworks mentioned there. So I saw that you mentioned like JavaScript and jQuery. That's cool. Um, but a lot of companies are looking for some experience with some of these new JavaScript frameworks. New is relative, of course. Um, and so if you have experience with those, it might be worth adding, assuming, again, that you want to continue to work with them. So maybe you have experience with Angular, oh. but you have no interest in picking that up again. That's cool. Leave it alone. Um, but if you're looking to kind of continue to do that work, add it in there. I think it makes sense. Okay. Actually, I haven't updated it since I started working. So yeah, that, that's why I was so excited. <laughs> Keep it up. I was really excited to have um, Megan look at them because these are pretty much how our resumes were when we came out of yeah. the camp. For the have you part. updated yours, Lee? Uh, all I did was add my my first uh, job on okay. there, but beyond that, no. I mean, it's a hot time for this industry and this these skill sets. So, you know, if if you want to maximize your earning potential as a developer at any stage, keep LinkedIn rocking. And, you know, just at least take the inbound right now. A lot of people hate it and they got contacted like endlessly by recruiters or whatever. I don't know. I always felt like, hey, more leads is better than no leads. So, you know, put yourself out there. You don't have to do anything with it if, if you choose not to or if it's a lousy message. Uh, but what's the harm in being, you know, thrown a bunch of things that that might be awesome? Yeah. And I mean, if, you're, if you do get inundated <laughs> with recruiters, I wouldn't necessarily say turn that off. I, I, I go with ledge too. I think it's better to have options. I mean, you never know when something golden will cross your desk. Um, I would say consider writing a polite standard response and just copy and paste that in, put it in like your keyboard shortcut and just, you know, hey, thanks for that, whatever. And I'll keep you in mind in the future, that kind of thing. But it doesn't have to be a big deal. Just plan out some time to chunk through it a little bit and, and look at it. But I think it's, you know, it's opportunities. And worst case is that you kind of expand um, your network a little bit more for whatever that next thing may be. And it, it doesn't mean that you have to be actively looking to leave a job. You may love what you're doing right now. Um, but five years from now, maybe you change your mind on that. And it's good to kind of have built that up all along, especially if you're new. Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> you don't know this either, Eddie, but Lee also sent over your resume portfolio website. So you had my, oh, okay. I was going to. It's listed on his LinkedIn. I didn't do any like oh, okay. catfishing. No, I thought maybe you had an actual resume. And not for you. I don't know. So I was looking at your, your website. Um, I like it. So there's the first thing it's, it's easy to get around. It's very clear, like what the path is with it. Um, one thing I would suggest, and I see this quite a bit on people's resumes too, is that rather than listing out a particular skill or framework, they tend to put the logos there. And there's kind of, I don't love that. Uh, so first of all, I have to memorize everybody's logos. Like I know quite a few of them, but I don't know every single one. So like kind of help me out. Right. And then the other thing is that if that you do sense. happen to get some, okay, so you've got two kind of two problems with it. One is if you have a person that doesn't know what the logos are, okay, they're going to dismiss it. Or if you happen to not have an actual human reading something, you want to make sure that it's written out so that a screen reader could capture that too. So you're kind of like blocking in two areas. If you have a human looking at it, you're assuming that they know what every logo looks like. Um, and if you don't, then it's just going to absolutely get like kind of written over and it's not even going to be... Um, 
focused on at all. So I would say it's cool if you want to use those, if you like the style of it, but make sure somewhere else in it is written out in just basic, you know, text. I think that that's really helpful. And especially mm -hmm. if, if you happen to be talking with somebody who's non-technical, like at all, that's going to be absolutely pointless. Unless there's maybe like one logo, like the node logo, you could tell it says node, but a lot of them, like they're not going to know what that is. And um, you don't want to miss out on that opportunity because they just don't know what they're doing because it's not their area of expertise, for example. So, uh, And something mm -hmm. that Ledge kind of touched on and I think makes sense in this case too, and it's probably because you did it maybe right out of your boot camp, but uh, it's a little outdated. So the last um, entry I saw, or I think the last kind of project that I saw was 2018. So minimally put something in for the same year. I think like that is worth considering. You don't have to keep it compulsively updated, but you don't want to look like it's been sitting there for a while and it hasn't, you know, it's gathering cobwebs. So I would say if you can keep something even from the current year in there, that's a, that's a good thing to do. Whether you're gainfully employed or not, it's always good to just kind of keep that updated. Or if that's not the case, remove the dates and just don't even put that in there. That's also a way to get around that and make it look more like evergreen content versus this is what I did and I haven't touched this thing for like two years now. So um, one of the mm -hmm. things that, that Eddie did really well and I would highly recommend is he um, linked out to demo links of the projects that he did so I could kind of play around with some of the stuff that he worked on. I love that. I love seeing that because it really shows me like, yes, this is something that this person did. They, you know, here's it actually working. Um, I really love that. Even though it's not um, showing the code, I just really like being able to interact with something like that, especially if you do like any kind of front end work. That's very, very cool. And the hard part of that, of course, is keeping it keeping it live and keeping it updated. So if you link out to something that you don't have control over, make sure you're checking it fairly regularly because if you have, for example, a client and they decide they're going to take down that thing, then you're going to look kind of silly linking out to that. So keep it Keep it updated, but um, that is a huge selling point. I look if somebody has a demo, I always look at it, and it will usually kind of push me to make that next step to like ask them to to come talk with me. So, um, highly recommend that. And again, it doesn't have to be professional; it could be a project from school. But let people play around with the work that you've done for sure, for sure. So, um, and we touched on this again too. If you are coming out of school, let people know what your role is and what you did in that particular project too. That's really good. It's a good chance to showcase your actual contributions to any particular group project. Um, and again, whether you're employed or not. So I think that's it. I hopefully that was not <laughs> too rough, especially because you didn't tell me we were going to do this. Oh no. <laughs> no, it was cool. I, I don't, he's a, uh... He could benefit from it, yeah, I think, and I good. he can punch me later. If, no, if that's, no, uh, it's, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really, it's in the spirit of helping other people, not like us soliciting free advice yeah. or anything. So um, that that was kind of the, the motive behind it. And also it's freely available on his LinkedIn, so it's not like I did any <laughs> espionage to get it. And you'll notice that I didn't tell you to put your heat map on there, so there is um, that. <laughs> perfect. I am curious um, if you, uh, just based on my resume and my LinkedIn, if you were like interested in or clicked on like my portfolio link or personal website and, and looked at that at all. 
I did not. And that was probably just mere, the mere fact that I was looking at the resume itself and at the portfolio. But if I was actually viewing you as a candidate, I would definitely look at it. And again, for all the okay. reasons that we talked about, like, is this coherent? Is it is it is there a bunch of lorem ipsum text in there that drives me nuts when people are like here's my portfolio and it's clearly not <laughs> just don't put it in just don't put it in um so that's what i'm looking for and and i'm sure maybe let has some some thoughts on that too from the client standpoint you know when when we send a client a link we want to make sure that it looks good right so um, maybe there's some things that he can contribute to this conversation that that would be helpful more from like client facing or sales standpoint that I'm missing. Yeah. I think you're right with the, just the, the quality. Like I need to feel like this represents you well and represents us well. Um, you know, it's, it's just a question of, um, is it usable? Does it, does it look good? Um, and, and that sometimes I know from my seat, like we, we would want to, direct the prospect away from thinking about design. So like, I don't like the colors he chose, therefore he's a bad developer. And I'm believing that stuff happens all the time, or it just doesn't feel like, you know, he's a good fit for us. Like why? Like, what, do, what are you talking about? Right? So we're, we're definitely going to want to focus on, on the value, you know, kind of as much as possible um, with, with all of that. Cool. Um, so moving away from the, the LinkedIn and resume kind of stuff a little bit, uh, there, there's always the third option, which is just basically, you know, leveraging your network and talking to people. Um, do you have any thoughts or strategies on like how to do that, especially if you're not already a software developer? Lynch, why don't you take that one? You're, you're the networking guy. It's always good. I think to have a regular coffee schedule or whatever works for you, you know, like go out in real life and, and meet some people, ask for mentoring meetings, um, ask for, you know, feedback or, uh, whatever it is, you know, just like, and, and be overt about like, Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, or Z. I don't know if you know, but you know, I became a, a software developer, really excited. Um, do you know anybody in the, in the industry that might be uh, interesting for me to talk to, uh, you know, and, and that could be anybody, right? Anybody in your personal or professional network, like we all know people, right? So I just encourage you to always have conversations about what you do because maybe nobody knows that, especially if you're changing career. Um, meetups are obviously cool. You know, that, that's a that's a great idea to meet other developers. Other developers are, are going to be the people who recommend you for jobs, you know, very often. Um, well, in a lot of companies, because it's so hard to get developers, are going to be like, hey, I met this sneak guy and I can get a, uh, a referral or, or something if I if I bring a resume into to HR. And um, so it just never hurts you to just get out there and, and get out of your, your comfort zone and, and meet people. Of course, there's things like LinkedIn, but, you know, everybody's on there. So it's just like, I look at that as just cost of entry, like just do a good job there and look plausible when someone goes uh, to check you out. But, um, you know, the tech industry is very supportive. So join Slack groups, go to conferences, um, just force yourself out there and, and make sure you have conversations and, and don't hide in the corner because that's where all the good stuff happens. And um, you'll get past all the resume sorting engines and, you know, HR stuff if you know people. So I recommend knowing people. Going along with that, um, we spoke to a recruiter on a previous episode and he had recommended that you just like basically cold email people from companies like, oh, I, you know, know that this person's the CTO of this business. I'll just write them an email that's like first name dot last name at business dot com or something. Um, do you think like if you got one of those emails, 
would you be intrigued? Would you look at the resume or would you be kind of annoyed if you hadn't given out your email? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I would check them out. Yeah. I, I mean, if I got a compelling email and again, like to me, it comes down to the basics too. Like you better have really good English in that first email. That's your first impression to me. Um, it will either, I will either immediately dismiss it because it's not well-written and it's clear that there's no professionalism there. Or I'll say, oh, that's that's pretty compelling. Let me just like check this person out. Or like, hey, this gal sent me her resume. Um, and when I went to her LinkedIn, she looked really legit. Um, yeah, I would consider that. Now, it may be that just time is not great. Maybe I don't have an opening or whatever. Um, but it would, it would, I think, put you on my radar even just initially. But you'll want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward with a cold email like that. Take the time to proofread it. Have like six other people look at it. And then use that as your template, but you not put a misspelling in the first sentence, or that's it. Like, oh, and I'll probably remember the fact that you were the person that put a misspelling in that first sentence because it's just very cool to say. Take the time to stop and think about it. It wouldn't hurt anything. I don't know if it's the most effective thing, but especially if there's a company in particular that you want to work with, um, you know, give it a shot. Like, the worst that happens is they're just like, no, and then that's it. You move on. You know. With sales, you deal with a lot of rejection, but probably going to be the same thing if you do any kind of cold email like that. Um, one thing I can suggest, and I'll be honest, I found it really difficult. Um, when I first started out in my career, the company that I was working with attended a lot of like local business mixers. And it's very much like salespeople and business people. And I really did not identify with that. Like that was really not kind of my jam. Um, but the fact that I, I kind of was like pressured to going into those things really helped me. Um, it really made me uncomfortable, but that was kind of the point. So I learned how to strike up conversations. I learned kind of that work in the room and that etiquette. Um, even now, I still get nervous at, at those kind of things. Uh, you know, if you watch other salespeople, you'll see how they kind of work the room. And it's really interesting to see. And even if you only go maybe like once to a mixer like that locally, wherever you are in the world, uh, I found it to be really, really interesting. And you will probably be deeply uncomfortable if you've never been to one of those before. Um, at least I know I was, but it was it was really worth it to do that and to, to even do it a few times just to kind of get a sense of like what the expectations are. Oh, this is how this works. Consider that as well beyond just like a developer peer user group or meetup. Yeah, I mean, just get the... I think it builds the muscle of being able to like walk up to somebody and, you know, say, hi, you know, I'm ledge. I'm a front end developer for such and such company. Nice to meet you. What's your name? What do you do? Like, so, you know, just to get that little muscle of, of networking and to feel comfortable, like just, you know, pitching yourself, here's what I do. And, oh, that's interesting. You know, like back and forth, like, you know, just, it is a useful skill. Um, definitely to, to, to put yourself out there. So you feel comfortable in uh, it's like that soft skill dimension, right? I mean, you just got to work that muscle. If you don't ever do it, it feels terrible and awkward when you finally have to. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. I met someone at a meetup once and um, she would, she wore a specific backpack because it would get people to talk to her because they would ask questions about it. And that's how she would, like that's smart like, I break like that. the ice and stuff like that yeah whatever yeah. your your shtick is you know like if <laughs> yeah i i agree that's good branding because then you know she's always going to be like cool backpack girl you know at, at the other thing yeah, right exactly. so you know maybe 
have a have a shirt that is unique or you know something like that so yeah I mean, that makes a lot of sense i saw somebody once that had a bright yellow javascript background <laughs> that was uh i was like man that's like owning it but also kind of awesome so <laughs> i did talk to that person so i guess yeah. it worked <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I think icebreakers are good, you know, for yourself and know, know what you can do to kind of help yourself feel more comfortable in those situations. I, I tend to think some people can just work a room and they do it very naturally and they've got a lot of experience with that. For me, it, it felt very uncomfortable, but it was good. It was a great learning experience. And so if you want to kind of learn how to ace an interview, doing those kind of things is a great way to do that because you just get more comfortable kind of talking about yourself, which again, kind of for a lot of people that feels very weird or uncomfortable. Um, I like, you know, sometimes they tell you like wear formal outfits for interviews and stuff, but I've always liked when, you know, I go to interview a, a JavaScript developer and she's got, you know, the JavaScript ball cap on or whatever. I think that's pretty cool. Um, maybe it depends on the culture of the company, but I like seeing that. I think that's kind of clever. And again, it's a nice icebreaker to, just to talk about just kind of like you would do in, in person, uh, in a, in a mixer. So consider it, take a step outside of your comfort zone, push yourself a little bit. Um, you will be better for it. You'll learn some things that you definitely would not learn. Maybe some in, in other environments. Cool. Awesome. Um, you kind of hit a, uh, the next topic, which was, this is like a, a terrible segue that I'm making, but, um, <laughs> Once you actually like, so you go out and you make your resume and your LinkedIn uh, halfway decent, you talk to people, actually come out of your development cave and start uh, socializing, and then you actually land an interview, um, everybody kind of like freaks out at that point. So I'd be interested to hear what kind of advice you have for how to prepare for that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to come at that. I, I tend to start with the basics. Like um, for me, you know, most of the interviews that we do are virtual. So there's some things around that, that I tend to, to notice. I think a lot of it can be rolled up though, is showing up on time, being prepared, dressing appropriately. Like these are the things that, you know, you hear about all the time, but it's true. Um, if you show up 20 minutes late, your odds of working with us have gone down exponentially. So make sure you get there on time and get there early. Um, dress neatly. And that really depends on the culture of whatever it is that you're doing, but look put together. Like you didn't just roll out of bed. I have definitely interviewed people in real life that, you know, they just look like they're disheveled and you wonder like, are they going to show up on time? What's good? Like what's going to happen here? Um, so you're really looking again to like avoid distractions from what you're saying and who you are and really kind of projecting, you know, the most about you that, that you can, um, if you're doing any kind of virtual or phone, try to get ahead of that and check your connection, check, um, your be in a quiet place. Oh, that's like the biggest thing too. Oh my gosh. If you are not in an onsite, if you are doing some kind of phone screening or anything like that, be in a quiet place, um, where there is no distractions. I can't tell you how many times, um, people have come to interviews in like the middle of a busy street. Like you can hear, the, I'm not kidding. You can hear the cars going past. Your ambulances in the background. It's yeah, like, and not coffee shops, please. Like, I mean, really, can you not find internet somewhere else? Um, you know, like, but it's a basic effort. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> and the same thing if, if you're ever on a sales call. Uh, you know, I can tell how important that is to you by the nature of like if you're prepared and you're sitting in a place that you can have a good conversation. So, uh, I would expect that that remote interviews using, uh, you know 
VoIP or video is going to become the norm, which means like be on a good internet. Like if your Wi-Fi is terrible, it's so bad for, for the experience. No one's going to want to do it. And again, you could be brilliant, but if I can't understand the word you're saying because you're in the middle of the busiest Starbucks in America, it's not going to help. Like, it doesn't matter. You just, you just kind of distracted me enough that I, I'm not even paying attention. I'm just thinking like, can you get away from the barista? So these are still basic, but I, I tell you this because I've seen it again and again and again. So put your best foot forward, be professional, um, do those things. And then, you know, of course, come prepared, know a bit about the company, know what you would your elevator pitches. And again, this is where if you go to a business mixer or something like that, you get really good at that. But know what your elevator pitches, know what you want, what you're looking to do and what you can do for the company or what you anticipate they want you to be able to do and then reiterate to that to them. Um, you don't want to um, come unprepared, you want to look like you've taken the time to do those things. It just shows some diligence and some some effort, you know, when they talk about passion, like, well, what's going to show less passion is if you take a call, you know, nothing about the company and you're like too busy to even go to a place that has good Wi-Fi. It just shows a lack of kind of concern or care. And nobody wants to feel like you don't care. I mean, it works both ways. So I want you to care about the work that, you know, we're potentially offering you and it, it works the same way as well. You know, you want to feel cared for as well. If I was, um, if the, if the roles were reversed, you'd feel very put off, I think, too, right? If the interviewer was just like, oh, yeah, I'm in the car. Just go ahead and talk to me. You'd be like, what is with this person? Right. Just kind of flip the script and think about that a little bit, and you'll know exactly <laughs> what you need to do with that. But you don't have to over-prepare. Don't make yourself sick or nervous about it to that point. Um, be yourself. You know, Put your best foot forward and just think about how can I eliminate distractions from what I'm going to tell them, which is really important about me. Yeah, I, uh, I'm guilty. Um, I actually had a technical uh, phone screen and they caught me um, like getting off late from a shift at work. And so I had to pull over to the side of the road and there were like semis buzzing past while I was trying to talk about dependency injection. So um, <laughs> I did not get that job. <laughs> I was uh, being transparent. I mean, I've had plenty of people that have been like, or they've taken a call from their car. They're in the parking lot because they're maybe working with a current company an employer and they don't want them to know. Usually if you just take a minute to say, Hey, I know this is unconventional. This is why I'm doing this. I hope you understand. Like that's, that's something. But if you make like no acknowledgement for the fact that like trucks are flying past, you <laughs> I'm going to wonder, I'm going to question your, your seriousness about what it is that we're talking about. Kind of. So just be transparent. I think that's really important too. You don't have to be perfect. You do have to be transparent about if you know something's not working. I think part of what I'm tending to look for is, does this person know that this is not appropriate behavior? Um, so if somebody comes in late because they had a microphone issue, that's cool. Acknowledge it. Uh, I at least know that you know that you shouldn't be late for a call. Where if somebody just kind of blows it off or is kind of embarrassed and doesn't want to say anything, then I'm thinking... Oh, are they always going to show up late? They showed up late for this. Are they going to show up late for my client? I mean, that's terrible. So um, if something doesn't go right, and I've hired people who have literally had their cars break down on the side of the road and they've called me before they've actually shown up for a physical interview, uh, that's okay. It's how they're handling those problems that happen. I think this shows a lot about them. So you don't have to be perfect, but communicate well. That will make you shine even in the face of adversity, anything like that. Take the time to, to acknowledge those things. Awesome. 
Um, I was going to ask also, uh, I assume you guys have had some kind of experience with um, like technical interviews. Uh, I was wondering if you had any advice for that sort of thing. Um, me less so. We do have technical interviewers that do those specifically. I tend to tell people to come prepared. Um, I think that's a big part of it. So I say, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, okay, go study 10,000 algorithms. Although if you know that, that it's, you know, a company tends to lean that way, then certainly do that. I usually tell people come prepared for some code samples, be prepared to show some work that you think is, is indicative of what you've done. Um, be transparent and honest. Uh, they will suss out if you think you're great at something and you're really just a beginner level. Um, it's best to just kind of be transparent about your experience with certain things and, and what you want to do or, or where you see that going. Um, the worst thing you want to do is kind of talk up yourself a little bit too much in a technical interview, um, especially if somebody's very, very senior doing the interviewing because they're going to think that maybe you don't have a real grasp of, of what experience actually looks like. So I say this kind of like from a junior developer standpoint, uh, just be transparent about it. Talk about things that you've liked to do. Uh, and you know, if it's, if there's a coding challenge, something like that, just come in prepared, do practice coding challenges. Uh, whiteboards tend to make people really nervous. So we tend to avoid them. Um, but maybe just practice whiteboarding challenges in front of, you know, the dog or something just to get used to that anxiety level that you might feel when you're put on the spot with some questions, because the more you can practice that and that kind of tension that you will likely feel, I mean, I tell people to relax, but like, you know, you're going to feel some tension, uh, just like you would if you were standing in front of an audience, giving a speech, come in prepared and, and be ready to kind of cope with that anxiety and you'll perform better in, in any of those things. But that's kind of my tangently experience with that. I've not conducted many technical interviews. Uh, Ledge, have you ever done anything like that? I am totally useless for this topic. I've <laughs> 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 uh, been on the business side and the sales side. So you know, I, I'm taking for granted that uh, by the time it gets to my desk that, that someone has the, the technical chops. I will say though that I, I am I'm aware of and will look at the results that come back from I know, like a, a codility or, you know, one of those experiences. And, you know, I would certainly read the feedback from uh, the technical interviewer. So I think, I think maybe the only lesson I could bring there would be that, you know, people, people do look at the feedback from, from those interviews. So, uh, and there's, you know, a hundred thousand blogs and stuff about, you know, how to ace a technical interview and, and what matters. So, um, just be aware that, you know, someone's taking notes and that uh, those notes get read by people that make decisions. Mm -hmm. Cool. So uh, we're running a little bit long, but uh, at the end of every show, we do a little segment called uh, Nerd Minute, where we just talk about like uh, whatever movies or TV shows or games or whatever we're into lately. Um, you guys are the guests. So uh, Megan, uh, do you have anything that you're into lately? Oh no, this is going to take a lot longer than a few minutes. I'm so into like movies. Do you have nerd hour? I know. You should rename let's, it. Let's, let's stop this and we'll start a new podcast on all the stuff that I like to geek out about. Um, okay, so top two things kind of on my radar now is um, the whole Marvel Universe thing. Like I'm still kind of living off of Endgame. I really loved all of that. Um, and now I'm kind of looking forward to more Star Wars stuff. And I can totally geek out about the Star Wars stuff for a long time. Um, but for me, I love just like everything about it. So. 
Did you watch the new trailer? Yes, I did. <laughs> I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I, I, I'm the person that watches the trailer and then like chews on it and thinks about it, like what's going to happen and what misdirection. Like I'm the person that analyzes the trailer. So yes, I absolutely saw it. I loved it. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I don't watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which, You're a good listener. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I just have to make it what I should nerd out on. So. It's like a, my nerd filter. I don't have I don't have television. I'm like a cord cutter. I have no TV. I don't watch anything. So, you know, maybe I'm on Netflix uh, a little bit. Looking forward to the new Mind yes. Hunter. Yep. Um, I consume copious amounts of audio books. So I'm doing the Gray Man series right now because I, I fancy that uh, <laughs> I am an international assassin. So, uh, what is uh, what is Gray Man? <laughs> It is a series of novels by Mark Greeny. I just, you know, I listened to the entire series of, of, you know, whatever secret agent I could find that's on the list. And then whatever Audible says is you probably also like, and I've started doing that one. So I've been through so many types of, of books like this. The, the Gray Man is, of course, a, uh, an assassin who is amazing and you know, of course, has a, a, a good soul and he only wants to do uh, vigilante style, you know, things of, of bad people. So, um, you know, the stories follow him all around the world doing incredible things that are impossible. He's kind of like he's kind of like a John Wick kind of character. Okay. Sweet. Mm. Eddie, uh, you got anything? Not really. Um, when I was sick recently, <laughs> um, I watched a lot of The Office and I've never seen it before. Yeah. Really? So, really? Uh, I went so through good. most of that. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's really funny. <laughs> are uh, are you uh, guys over there fans of The Office at Gun.io? Oh, yeah. I like yeah. Silicon Valley, oh, though. Yeah, to be absolutely. Honest. <laughs> what is uh, Silicon Valley? <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is like ahead, the third but... episode that come up. <laughs> Silicon Valley is it's a Mike Judge. This is where hot creation. dog, not hot dog. Um, if you like uh, all the okay. space, it's it's straight up like it's so bad. Real life, but hilarious. Like it's it's like The Office, but for startups in Silicon Valley. I guess that would be a good way to put it. And it's ridiculous because if you've ever worked in in startups, like it, everything is is so spot on and true. Uh, that you <laughs> both want to laugh and cry at the same time. Yeah, Highly recommend. Yeah, for sure. Check it out. It is really, really good. I will look that one up for sure. Um, the only thing I've got is uh, I started watching uh, an anime called uh, Dr. Stone. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it's, a, it's about like if some weird event happened where humanity, like everybody turned to stone and was petrified for like 6,000 years. And then this this one wow. nerd wakes up and he's like, been studying holistically like every aspect of science he could get his hands on for his entire life and he's trying to like rebuild civilization so each episode he kind of uh tries to figure out like um you know oh i, I know how to build like a pulley system from archimedes and i know how to engineer like gunpowder from like you know chinese chemists and you know however many centuries ago so it's a, a really weird super super nerdy anime Oh, that's super cool. Okay, so I'm going to get a little tangent here. Um, 
I watched this weekend Batman versus Teenage Mutant oh, yeah. Ninja Turtles. That, it was so fun. I had such a good time with it. I had no idea it even existed, and it was really, really funny. So if you happen to like any of that genre, it was it was worth it. It's like just this movie. I don't know. It was really funny. Yeah, and I really exposed how nerdy <laughs> I am. Wow. There, uh, there was a comic of that. Like, uh, I don't know if it was ten years ago or, or less, but. Uh, there are a few of them. I think at the end of that movie that she's talking about, they go through a bunch of the covers and okay. like through time. Uh, so there, it's happened a bunch of times. Awesome. Yeah, I don't recall if I've seen that particular one or not, but uh, I am definitely a, a Ninja <laughs> Turtle fan, so and a Batman fan. Yeah. It was great. It was really fun. It was written really well. Like the script was good. So yeah, they they just did Hush. Oh yeah, that's a good one. So yeah. Hush is uh, one of those Batman arcs that's um, maybe one of the better self-contained ones from uh, the past uh, decade or so. So, that's my <laughs> hey, me too, me too. <laughs> All right, well, um, I think we can we can wrap it up there. Uh, thank you so so much, uh, Ledge and Megan, yeah, for for coming on the show and uh, ripping up my resume and and giving <laughs> us a lot of really good actionable advice. Absolutely. It's good to be here. And uh, good luck to all the, the tech juniors who will no longer be tech juniors for very long. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, so much. It was such fun. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, click subscribe to get an email from us once a week with the latest episode and some other goodies. Please follow us on Twitter at TechJR Podcast. You can follow me at Lee Work Jr. and Eddie at ED0TER0. Join us next week where we're going to be talking with Matt Stauffer. Uh, Matt is behind Laravel's Up and Running uh, book and is a really awesome teacher for Laravel. So, uh, we're going to dig into what the heck Laravel is, uh, why you would care about PHP, and how you can get into that uh, ecosystem as a JavaScript developer. So we talk about like how to install PHP and Laravel, how to get started, what awesome resources you can use, and kind of like the whole ethos behind Laravel and kind of how you can get into it. So definitely check that one out. All right. That's all for me. We'll see you next Wednesday. Take care.